Heads up, in this episode, we talk a little bit about sex stuff. There are precious few things that we can fairly say everybody in this world is born with, but I feel confident that dignity and agency are among them. Agency, the right to make decisions about yourself and your life. Dignity, pursuing a path paved with respect and with care. These things are everybody's birthright, but we don't all get to access them equally. Sometimes the road to reclaiming your agency, your choices, your body can come from unexpected places. These are some of the deep thoughts I had recently while hanging out at a workshop in your friendly Chicago neighborhood BDSM dungeon on a 90 degree day, fans roaring. Make sure one, that you know your limitations, what you're good and bad with. It's good to be with somebody that's safe, caring. One thing BDSM is about open communication. It's about respecting boundaries. You have to respect their body. Also, there was a tambourine. It can be musical. <laughs> this, is, this is what I call Bring that ass to church. <laughs> I'm Eve Ewing, and this is Guaranteed, the podcast where we find out what happens when regular people around Chicagoland receive direct cash assistance, guaranteed income. We learn about the choices people make, the dreams they pursue, and the impossible things that get a little more possible when folks get a little bit of money. Guaranteed. On this episode, our special guest is Topaz, a participant in the Guaranteed Income Program run by Cook County, which is home to the city of Chicago and is the second largest county in the United States. Topaz is honestly one of the most multifaceted people I've ever met. They have seemingly 10,000 skills and interests and passions, which you'll hear them talk about in a second. But a through line in their world and in this conversation is the importance of consent, of autonomy, and of choosing the life you want for yourself, minute by minute, day by day. Can't wait for you to meet them. So for people who aren't hip to it, can you tell everybody what Shibari is? You know, you you might see those pictures of somebody hanging in the air from rope or being tied down by decorative rope. That's Shibari. I'm an artist, too. I also draw, and I'm also a retired cosplayer. I got into cosplay because usually when I say I'm never going to do something, I end up doing it. (laughs) So (laughs) I said I wasn't going to do cosplay. I said I wasn't going to do FX makeup. I wasn't going to cosplay a bad guy. And that is all of what I've done. One of my favorite cosplays will be my Courage to Kylie dog. That went viral. Um, My next cosplay would be Reaper from Overwatch. I am a retired cosplayer, but one of my friends wants me to do a Power Ranger cosplay. So Rita Repulsa, he says, I'm not done until I do that cosplay. So, but that's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost a lot of money to do that and a lot of material. Is this a source of community for you, either in person or online in Chicago or globally? Do you feel really connected to a lot of other cosplayers and maybe just like nerd culture in general? Because I'm also hearing you talk about, you know, anime, video games. I am a nerd. When when I was a nerd, we wasn't popular right, at all. Right. Now, nerd culture is totally won over. Right. It's like, wow. So um, I didn't start going to conventions until my 30s. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm I'm a late bloomer to this popular nerd culture, and I love it. I love it. I love that we can, especially for black little girls that was growing up being nerds and you was picked on and stuff. Um, now they can be themselves. It's totally and different, right? It's totally different now, and and I'm proud. So how do you um, balance that with some of the other work that you do? Um, I grew up with a disabled mom. I grew up with a disabled sister. And my life was different. A lot of people, they can say, hey, you know, my mom did this or she lift this up. For me, it was like me helping out my mom a lot. My dad was was in the house, too, believe me. But my dad had agoraphobia. So when it came to kind of going out and helping her out, that was me. That was my job. And I got to see different lives as in my sister was nonverbal. Um, I'm teaching a class coming up soon about disability and kink. I'm disabled myself, but I have an invisible disability. So there's a difference between how people look at people that has the visible disability and the invisible and, and the problems that you deal with that. But my class is about teaching about disability and sexuality and getting people familiar with that and educating people. It also seems like you're working at the intersections of these different things by bringing together conversations about sexuality, about kink, you know, about those communities as well as disability communities. Is that something you've always done? Are you kind of just like a, a connector person? I can't help it. It's who I am. I'm a disabled person. Shabari, some people see Shabari as kink. It is. It can be. All I feel like I'm doing is just telling my little part of a story of a big picture of a book that's going on out there. Mm. It's also a conversation about accessibility, how you include people. And you can't be inclusive if somebody can't get to your place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think what happened is that the word inclusion became bigger. Mm. People were being left out and they're tired of being left out mm -hmm. when they deserve the same rights as everybody else to fulfill or pursue their happiness. And all of the communities, if you go to certain places, certain spots, it's a feeling of you walk in the room and, and you're the only melanated person inside of that room. And you can see others walk up and, hey, hi, and people are more friendlier towards them when nobody wants to come and speak up to you. The thoughts that come is, is am I ugly? Am I fat? Uh, did I dress right? Um, you're wondering, and then you say, you, you look at yourself, you say, oh, okay. Where do you get the courage to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there? I have nothing else to lose. This is who I am, and I feel like I've lived my life a certain type of way to other people's opinions. Mm. And in the end, the only person that suffers is me. Mm. I want to live my life to the fullest, especially what's making me come out more now is how my sister passed in December. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. We, we both shared the same birthday. Mm -hmm. I take it in grace that she died happy. She died at 36. Wow. I want to live my life the best and the fullest of what I want to do now. I, I want my voice to be heard when it hasn't been. Mm -hmm. If I go, I don't want any regrets. 
I don't want any regrets and I want to live my life to fullest. I have all these ideas and stuff and I've been sitting on and what's bringing my voice out the most now is because I love me more than ever now. Mm -hmm. There were times in life that I did not and I really do now. Tell me some of the the memories that you have of, of your sister, you know, growing up together or, or in the more recent past. Just tell us a little bit about who she was and, and your time together. Alexandria was born with muscular dystrophy and autism. She was nonverbal. Alexandria, I was very protective over. I took care of her. Even though Alexandria was nonverbal as in talking, Alex would hum and love music. And any old thing that I can put on, because I have a eclectic, weird taste in music, um, from country all the way to hip hop, which my parents did not like me playing that for her. Alex loved everything about music. Um, she made me search for more music so that I can play it for her. Alex taught me a communication that, that was without words. Mm-hmm. Just in the course of this conversation, we've touched on almost every different modality from sound, right? You playing music, singing, to touch with the the rope work, right? To yes. um, the visual. So I think that's pretty astonishing. Um, you know, once again, I just want to say I'm, I'm so sorry for the loss of your sister. And I wonder what have you been doing to care for yourself in the months since she's been gone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I haven't really done any arts since she's been gone. I've been doing a lot of studying and reading. It's been hard to catch up with work because depression is is something else. Mm-hmm. D- depression can get you down to some points that you, you have to stay strong and fight, especially if you don't have a counselor at that moment. Oh, fighting your own mind can be something else. Um, but trying to keep positive. Um, and I've been teaching my classes, the main thing that, that I have been doing for the community. What's your favorite class to teach and what do you what do you find rewarding about it? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I so okay, hold on. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think of a proper way to say this. You can say how this is a podcast, so they're not coming for us. So it's not on the radio. You can say whatever you gotta say. <laughs> I teach film dom classes. Okay, that's all good. <laughs> Tell us more. I teach Fendom classes. No, it's it's not what people think it is because they first think, oh my God, it's whips, chains, and all this. No, I uh, teach in a dungeon and there's classroom space. I go there and I teach people the safety practices. I was a, a, a certified nurse assistant, PCT for 20-something years out of my life. Like mm-hmm. people might want to do Needle play. Well, the main thing to teach before you start doing that is to properly clean the skin. Mm-hmm. If if you want to do candle play, I teach about, hey, don't get burnt up. But teaching the safety, teaching about sexuality, teaching about feelings, teaching about how to really be safe out here. A lot of people jump into things and they want to just get on the skateboard and do the flip without even, you know, skating down the block first. So my thing is saying, hey, skate down the block a little bit before you trying to do Tony Hawk type of stuff. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. And that's what I teach. Um, and my next class in, in a couple of weeks before my disability and kink class will be about bastianado. Mm. And so. What's bastianado? 
Bastionado was a Spanish canon of the feet. Okay. Was so in the I'm, past or is still on and popping? Well, it's still on and popping, but in a consensual way. I can't believe that I'm doing this, but I'm happy that I am. Black women are powerful no matter what we teach. It's good just to see us there and our voices speaking. For me, teaching and my role, I, I, I do my best to give others knowledge, to be safe, to be consensual, to feel protected. There are other POC out there that are looking and searching, but might not have the trust that they will have with others than what they would have with seeing another POC teach them to say, hey, we're here. Mm. I see you and we're here. So you're also working in home health care at the same time as you're doing this? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Tell me, why is it unfortunately? What, is, what are you not feeling about that work right now? Um, I think healthcare is more about money than the patients. On my desk, I know I look out for my clients because I grew up with a disabled mom and we had uh, services from the state, mm-hmm. services from different home healthcare companies. And it's good to have the good workers go out there and, and, and the workers that care. To me, as a person that will be in that position, right? it makes you think about what if it was me if I was the client and I try to give my clients what I would want if I was in that position. Right. I think that's an important reminder that a lot of people don't think about, right, is that this is where all of us end up at some point. Is that something you think you're especially attuned to because of your experience caring for your mother? I think that to me, it's like a whole life experience. Like this was a destined role. You you, you have to have patience. I have people in my family that do home health care. And, you know, one of my relatives always says it's impossible with the time that is given for her to do the job at the level of excellence that is actually required to really take care of people, to really check in on them, that if you're not willing to cut corners, it's actually not physically possible to do the job. Is that your experience? And do you feel like that reflects on something about how our society does or does not care for, you know, people who, who need care? Again, it goes back to money and she is a hundred percent correct. You tell somebody to go in for four hours or like one client get three hours a day. Well, by the time that you get there, this person, first you got to clock in. Mm -hmm. Then after you clock in, you have to make sure this person gets up out of the bed, give them a shower, a bath, by the time you're getting them up and, and giving them breakfast, garbage and dishes and clothes, you can leave that day and that person's stuff is still not done. Mm-hmm. The only way that these people or these clients are getting 30 hours of service is if they're bed bound. Now you're bed bound and somebody comes by your house only for six hours a day for five days a week. That means over the weekend, what are you doing? Right. So... The system needs to be curated much better. There's so much more that's needed and they're not getting enough. You know, sometimes these home care aides will go out there on their own time Mm -hmm. and God bless them. They're going out there on their own time to help these people out, not being paid or nothing because they see, you know what, this person's a human being to me. I'm, I'm going to help like with my client. He was uh, Jewish, but he had nobody. So it's it's around Hanukkah, Christmas, came out there and I, I brought him some food because mm-hmm. he was alone. You know, I would want somebody to think about me and know that I'm alone on the holidays. I have nobody 
and then you're only paying a $15 an hour. I mean, that's the part I was about to get to, right, is that it's mostly black women, it's women of color doing this work. And no wonder people don't want to work the weekends if they're not getting paid fairly. I mean, this is one of the most growing industries in our country. Do you feel like, you know, this work would look different and be different? People would be cared for better if folks were compensated more fairly? Most definitely. We all travel to a job, we get there, we work all day, and then we go home. But just think you go, you travel to a job, and then you got to travel to another job just to make eight hours a day, again, at $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. And you're not getting compensated on the bus for being on the bus, being on the train? Uh, About $2.50 for your travel time. And then we're not talking about, hey, if this person goes into the hospital, you have to travel more. Mm -hmm. I've seen people that live all the way out on 63rd coming to work all the way up north because the hours are up there. Yeah, I'm about to say, I mean, Chicago's also big, right? And so yes. you, this is not a small thing for people to be traveling around, especially if you don't have a car. The train is not present everywhere. The bus is not reliable everywhere. So that's a lot. I've seen it for myself for when I had my back injury and when I had my stroke. Wondering about what's going to happen, what I'm going to do, um, how I'm going to pay rent. Um, those type of fears, I, I had never feared that and being out of work to where, oh man, rent is not going to be paid this month and they're going to kick me out. And I'm glad I had this program because I had COVID. I was off of work. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So how, how did you first uh, become aware of the program? I had seen it advertised and I watched the news somewhat and my friend um, had received it. He had caught COVID or something. And I was like, oh my God, how are you going to take care of rent? And he's like, well, to be honest, I'm doing pretty well because I got something to cover my rent. And mm-hmm. he was like, thank God. And when I first found out about it, I applied it and get it, but he got it. So um, it was good for him. So the second time I was like, I was a little down about it. I was like, they probably not going to pick me. And when I found out that I was chosen, oh man, I, I kind of jumped up for joy, I was like, this is going to rearrange some things that I've been needing to take care of for mm-hmm. a long while. But the, the first month, my sister passed away. So I made sure all of her stuff was taken care of. Um, months after that, building credit, paying off people who I owe, mm-hmm. making sure that now my credit is back to 725 um, so that if I drop down low or something, I can pull out a loan or something to help take care of it. To make sure that my bills were paid, uh, I was late on rent and I was beginning to pay rent at the end of the month because how the checks went. And this helped me build it back so that I'm paying on time because catching COVID and being knocked out of work. They all say we're one paycheck from being homeless. And I've seen how that can happen because you can get so behind. Right. And especially because some of the things that you talked about that you've had to endure Those are things that can happen to anybody at any time, right? You had a back injury. You had a stroke. I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, you got COVID. I mean, these are things that can fall upon anybody at any time. And like you said, what are the systems that we have in place to really make sure that you have something to fall back on? It sounds like this has created some peace of mind for you. Has that impacted your your mental health, your physical health at all? I think that it has impacted my mental health a lot because 
it's less to stress and worry about. Mm -hmm. Um, Stress can kill you. It it gave me comfort that I was able to take care of my sister's proceedings and and everything. It gave me help that I know that, um, you know, the little bit of family left that we invited over, I was able to feed them and make sure that I still had a roof up over my head to be able to make sure they had a place to come to be able to sit there, talk and get through their emotions and unpack Mm -hmm. um, everything that they needed to because she passed away. Alex passed on the 3rd of December last year. Mm -hmm. I received my first payment on the day that my mom passed. Oh, my gosh. So, which was December 5th. They both decided to to expire in December. And I'm like, did did you all do this on purpose? It's my little joke to them. Mm -hmm. But you, you you can't let it get you down. She went 10 years after my mom. I'm glad that they're together. I'm a little jealous because, you know, she gets to see mom before me. Not that I'm willing to go anywhere soon, but she's, um, they good. Mm-hmm. They good. And, um, you know, I'm okay with all that. A lot of people feel sad and stuff. I'm like, nah, she's just chilling with mom right now. I'll see them later. So she passed on the third. You received the payment 12 days later? Yeah, on the 15th. What do you think would have happened had you not received that payment in terms of your ability to, you know, take care of her her wishes and her final resting place? Me being more in debt. Mm-hmm. I have no. I, I don't. I don't even want to say what I was thinking then. It was. It was. It was depressing. Um, like I. I knew I. I probably could have asked some friends to help, but and you, you owe more people. <laughs> and, right. and then and then you're in their pocket. You don't right. want to be in people's pockets. So I hate borrowing money. I, I do not ask people. It, it gave me independence. Mm. Yeah. It mm. gave me independence to not have to go that route. It gave some peace of mind. I didn't have to be embarrassed. And not only that, it sounds like you were able to make a space for the people who loved her to grieve together. So what was, what was that like? What did you all do to, to gather and, and, and honor her memory? <sighs> I, I want to should I tell the PC story or the real family story. Tell us the real story. <laughs> tell us the real story. Well, you know, when families get together, we talk uh, crap about other family members that, of that, course. that wasn't there. Talked about, uh, embarrassing, um, memories, um, <laughs> I invited some friends over. Uh, the food was good. My my uh, cousin's husband got drunk and he made a fool out of himself because <laughs> inside my house I have a I have a sword and knife collection. Okay, and nerd. So- okay, nerd. <laughs> I see you. So I have this comma, and a comma is like a mini scythe. So it's about that big with the handle and it has a scythe at the end of it. And he was like, "You can just get this and raw." <laughs> <laughs> And so we're laughing. And that's the thing about us. It, it can be a funeral or something. We're, we're still laughing. We, we cried very little. Um, mm. It was more about us being together. And after the family members left, we, uh, the friends I was left over, we had some drinks and we watched wrestling. So what do you think Alex would have thought of that gathering? Alex would have been happy. I think she would be laughing at the at the crap that we talked about the family members. And I think that she would enjoy wrestling. It seems really important that you were able to have that together 
as opposed to when when you said a moment ago, you know, I didn't have to be embarrassed. It, it, it shattered my heart a little bit because I think obviously it's such a tremendous loss to have your sister taken away from you. And then to have that coupled with this sense of shame, even though you didn't do anything, you didn't do anything wrong. And so it seems very powerful for me that you were able to have that collective grief that was actually a celebration of life and a celebration of community. You deserve that, you know, like you deserve that. You know, one of the critiques or like um, criticisms or challenges that people have about guaranteed income is they say, you know, if people get guaranteed income, they're not going to work. What would you say to those people who say, you're making a face right now. <laughs> what would you say to people who say that, you know, if people get this money, they're not going to work? Well, they need to ask the question to themselves. How far can you get in the city of Chicago with just 500 bucks a month? What? So all of these people are going to get this and just not work and just we'll have more homeless because they sure can't pay a rental bill with this. But just to say they're not going to work, then you're making a blanket statement mm -hmm. about that person that's full of judgment. And that's not right. Why don't you give it a chance? We don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I can say my story is enriched my life. It's getting me to fix some things that I needed to be fixed. You never know what people can do. If they're not working, then maybe they're going to school. Right. Give them a way to go to school to better their education. You don't want them on public aid or these programs. So how about giving them a little boost to give them a higher morale to achieve their goals? Maybe what? You can get associates in two years now. Right. And associates, that means that when they get out, they'll have a better chance of getting a job working, making better pay and putting their taxes and everything back into the city or back into programs that's needed. Also. As you've talked about already, there's some really important things that happen that people need to take care of when they're not working, like resting, like grieving, like planning, like recovering. And so that's a really important perspective. And, you know, it seems like already in these last few months, this has helped you take care of some immediate things. As you look forward and you look ahead, what are some of the things that this income allows to be guaranteed in your own life, things that you can count on that you used to not be able to count on? What's ahead for you? A little bit more money in my savings account, mm. uh, possibly a car, um, definitely time to take care of my health. Mm -hmm. I think that they need to get in their minds that this is help. This is not a, a living wage. Right, right. Definitely not in Chicago. I don't know of, of many other places that it could be either. Earlier, you said it's just important for you to live your life to the fullest. What do you think that looks like for you in the next few years? And, uh, you know, what are some of your dreams that you're hoping to to pursue? I hope to scratch a lottery ticket and become rich so I don't have to work <laughs> at all anymore. I want to be in Iceland somewhere playing with some orcas somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I want to I, I I want to. I want to be the black Dr. Ruth. I want to be somewhere taking care of animals mm. or or being a part of an animal shelter. Um, if I have to work being the receptionist or the person who does the help to bring the animals in, uh, I still want to be a part of the disabled community, no matter what I'm doing. In five years, what I see myself as happy mm. and content. And hopefully being financially 
secure so that I'm at the place that I can help somebody. I can help build a program or something to help people to give back because grace was given to me. Mm. I would like to be in the position where I can give that back. You know, people always say you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Here you go. After chatting with Topaz, we were eager to see the ways they bring the values that are so important to them out into the world. Lucky for me, they had an upcoming open workshop on the topic of disability and kink. And when I asked if I could crash, Topaz and their friends at the Chicago Rose, which bills itself as a diverse and non-judgmental BDSM dungeon, were kind enough to oblige. Just a heads up, I mentioned earlier that it was super hot that day. So there are some really loud fans going behind the class you're about to hear. Sorry about that, but I'm also not sorry because your girl was sweating. Um, okay, so this week, our remaining themes for the week, we've got just a regular member night tomorrow night, and then Saturday we have temperature play as a theme. Next week, uh, our class is electro play with TJ, right? He's a great big bear of a man. But Friday, if y'all don't know, we have a, a community membership free Friday thing where you can yeah, it's so busy. If y'all want to see this place busy, that's when to be here. Um, Sunday the 13th, so two weeks, we're doing a goblin takeover ticketed event. What's goblin? So, so subs come dressed as goblins. Doms come good. See, I, I'm, I'm still learning the, the exact same. this class. When it was time for class to start, Topaz was the consummate educator. They adjusted their reading glasses, wrote on the chalkboard, and we were off to the races. Topaz displayed different kinds of toys and props, passing them around the room to a slightly shy but friendly and diverse circle of folks. They also talked about what the kink community and the chance to share their experiences has meant to them. My name's Arden Silverwolf, and what this class is about is disability and kink. This is a dungeon, and this is where people practice BDSM. Um, what is kink? basically different sexual or adult behavior that's different from the norm. So it's like this. Depending on how hard you want the pain, they can be assault. You still get somebody, but it doesn't have to be something to yap on somebody and make them scream out. There's a ratio of us. You don't, you don't see on the mainstream media a disabled person with a whip or a paddle in their hand, being dominant, or a disabled person being a submissive and acting in scenes. No, I, I've, unless it was that life, I would have never seen it. With kink and BDSM, it's a way to heal. The community has helped me heal. I've had great people to support me here. This is very therapeutic because it has me face my fears. It makes me feel confident about myself. But questions? Choice is a funny idea. In theory, we all make choices every day, but in practice, the decisions arrayed before us are always constrained, limited in some ways. Our individual circumstances, but also big things like racism and ableism, can put a ceiling on our dreams. Topaz reminds us that any chance we get to snatch that back 
to reclaim dignity, to fight for agency, to steal space for imagination and freedom from the jaws of the world's limitations. That's radical. That's a blessing. Whether it looks like dressing up as your favorite video game character, jamming on a tambourine, or watching wrestling with the people you love while you remember the people you've lost, you have to make space for the things you choose for yourself, that which is worthy of your consent. Topaz is crafting a life that makes space for all those things, and that is glorious. Guaranteed is created by Respair Production and Media and me, your host, Eve Ewing, with the support of the Economic Security Project and super, super, super always thanks to Jenna Severson for her assistance. Our producers are Damon Williams, Daniel Kisslinger, and Jeanette Harris-Courts. And our theme music is the song Woof by San Morimoto. Bye, adios, hasta luego. I call him my part-time mentor because he basically showed me three or four ties and let me go on my own. Wait, Topaz, would you say he showed you the ropes? He showed me the ropes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.